This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hey, everybody. Today's episode is a special show dedicated to turtles. Every year around the last week in May until mid-July, female snapping turtles and painted turtles emerge from lakes and ponds to cross the roads, looking for a sunny and sandy area to lay their eggs. It can be a perilous journey, and many turtles are hit by cars, causing serious injuries. Today we are talking with Pam Meyer, who rescues and rehabilitates injured turtles and gets them back into the wild. She is the founder and director of the Turtles Back, a turtle rehabilitation center in Connecticut. We'll be talking about the things that all of us can do to help turtles. Pam, thank you so much for joining us on Bird Hugger today. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's great to have you on the show. So it's that time of year when turtles are crossing the roads to lay their eggs. Can you tell our listeners all about the turtles back and the work that you do there? Yes. Well, I'm um, a state-permitted wildlife rehabilitator like you are, and I am based in Connecticut. I deal with all eight resident species of turtles that we have here in the state. Of course, none of us do sea turtles because they're a migratory species, and that is a whole different ball of wax that requires a federal permit. But we have eight, and it keeps me very busy. I also occasionally do other reptiles and amphibians. Lots of times get things like black rat snakes that are caught in deer netting, amphibians with damaged legs that were crossing roads just like turtles or things like that. But primarily it's turtles, turtles, and more turtles. Now, you said you're in Connecticut. What part of Connecticut? I'm down in Madison, Connecticut, which is the southeast coast, about not quite halfway between New Haven and Rhode Island, but out that way, very close to the coast. The benefit of that is I'm also in the land of diamondback terrapins, which people in other parts of the state are not because they're a coastal species. And how did you get started rescuing and rehabilitating turtles? Well... It was kind of a long and winding road. So first of all, when I was a little girl, and I always had a million pets, thank God my mother was great about that. One of the really fond memories I have also of being outdoors in the woods was that there was a box turtle that used to come to our yard every summer at the same time. And not knowing any better, we would keep him or her for a week or so and then release it. And probably we were messing with its nesting schedule, but we didn't know any better back then. Um, and and it, it was just great. I loved that turtle, and it would just come back to see me every year. I mean, I thought it was coming back to see me. And then growing up, I, I was surrounded by family members that were both in life sciences and in art, and I was always 
uh, very much in love with those two things myself, and I didn't know which way I wanted to go. So when it became time to go to undergrad, I chose the art route and have kind of been looking for ways ever since to still get more involved in zoology and wildlife and conservation, even though I don't have science degree from college. So when my daughters were growing up, I learned about the rehab program and thought it would be a great way to help. And being outside, I was always running into animals and I I did a lot of environmental education from the time my daughters were very young through their school years. So kids and their families were always bringing me her animals and things. And I thought, well, this is something I could do without a degree in science per se or medicine that would allow me to actually help these animals and do so legally because, of course, it's illegal, at least in Connecticut, for anyone to take in, possess, or treat wildlife without being a permitted person of some sort. So I took the the wildlife rehab exam, which is a basic multiple choice test, and passed that easily. But but at that point, my kids were really busy in uh, going into high school and, you know, doing the running around that moms have to do when their kids are in high school. I really did not have time to do all the hours of apprenticeship that are required. So I tabled it for a little while and then went back to it when the last one was nearing her senior year at that point, had to decide which species to work on because when you're working as a rehabber, and I'm sure you know this, Catherine, as just an individual as opposed to a nature center or some kind of wildlife center with a staff and a facility, you really have to be picky about what you choose to work on because it's just prohibitive to try to do all species. They all have different diets and different schedules and different medical regimens and need completely different kinds of housing. Sometimes you'll be up all night. Sometimes you'll be up all day. It it just would burn you out in a year and cost a lot of money. So you really need to specialize to do anything well and to not kill yourself. Rehab is, of course, a volunteer job. We get no compensation for doing this. It's just something you do out of the goodness of your heart and, and because you love the animals. So I figured if I'm going to specialize in something... I really should be putting all my resources towards the animals that really need the help the most. And turtles for sure fit that category because most of the other animals we're allowed to work on in Connecticut and probably many other states are not only not endangered, but some of them are actually overpopulated and most are certainly being subsidized by human activity like raccoons and foxes and things that live in um, suburban environments and kind of feed off the the excesses of humans like trash and birdseed and white-tailed deer, which are for sure overpopulated. And so turtles, on the other hand, out of our eight species, five of them are on the endangered species list. And they are very little known, very little understood by the public, and all in big, big trouble. So I thought this is this is worth my time, money, and effort to to help these guys. Plus, I've always loved them. The other thing was I realized that I have really good a really good skill set that suits working with turtles because you really need to be good with your hands and fine motor and really detail-oriented work and understand object physics. And having been an artist all my life and making things and building things, I, I definitely had those things. And I have always had kind of a decent medical aptitude. 
those were the other things that I had didn't even occur to me, but it turns out that it was a really good choice for me. So what is it you like the most about turtles as a species? Well, from a rehab perspective, I really love working with them because they are very quiet. <laughs> They're like silent. They never have infants that need bottle feeding or around-the-clock regimens like most mammals and birds do. Most of my friends who are rehabbers are just exhausted. It's like having infants every year because no matter which species you're working on, the, the majority of the animals you get tend to be babies, and they just need all the care that a mom would normally be giving them, and it's nonstop, and they're noisy. So turtles don't carry rabies like lots of those other animals do, and they don't require a lot of the big massive enclosures that you really need for, say, raptors or deer or even raccoons when they're rehabbing. But the, the flip side of that is you have them for a lot longer time because they're slow metabolizing animals and so it takes them much longer to heal from things than than any of these other high metabolizing animals like mammals and avians. And then just in terms of animals, I mean they're they're just the coolest animals. I mean they're ancient. There's so much diversity between each species of turtles, which most people just really aren't aware of. They kind of think of a turtle as this green thing with a shell that eats lettuce and lives in a pond. And each one of them has completely different physiology, different habitats, different life cycles throughout the year. They're so interesting. And to me, they're just like these ancient souls that are very unique in the animal world. They look you right in the eye and you feel like you're looking into the eyes of an old, wise creature. Plus, I think they're, I feel like they're the underdogs of, of the, animal world and the reptile world in many regards. I mean, people generally love turtles, but they're so overlooked and they they're not the they're not the big charismatic flashy creatures that most people tend to gravitate towards because they're not warm and fuzzy and they're not magnificent flying raptors or something. They're just quiet and overlooked. So tell me, what dangers do aquatic turtles face? Aquatic turtles face pretty much all the dangers that you can think of. They and and when you say aquatic, just to be specific, you're not talking about sea turtles, you're talking about land turtles, which in the northeast are all aquatic turtles. We don't have tortoises up here, which are the dry land guys. You know, starting with the big one, which is always habitat loss, but there's also habitat degradation, for instance, the pollution of their wetlands, the bulldozing of of forested area, filling in of wetlands, those are degradation things as well as loss. And then habitat fragmentation, which is when your habitat is so cut up into little pieces and divided and separated, it's not a nice big contiguous area where you could move from one pond to another. You're just locked into a very small space surrounded by human development, and that's really deleterious to turtles because it prevents the recruitment of new members from one population to another, which is so critical to genetic diversity and, and overall population long-term health. Like any animal, if they get too inbred, the population starts collapsing. Obviously, the most well-known to people would probably be road mortality, and that is highest during nesting season, but it does happen all year that the turtles are not roommating or hibernating. And then, then there is 
very close to the top of the list. Also, captivity and turtle trafficking, which is becoming one of the the most perilous things facing turtles, and it's happening very quickly, is international trafficking of turtles for for the pet trade all over, particularly to Asia and Southeast Asia. And then climate change and disease. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty much getting hit on all fronts. Now, what would be some of the common misconceptions people have about turtles? Well, there's that one I mentioned about them thinking that they're all just, that a turtle is a turtle is a turtle, and it's this creature with a shell that lives in a pond and eats lettuce. And uh, that is most evident whenever someone calls me saying they have found an injured turtle. And my first question to them is always, do you know what kind of turtle it is, what species it is? And the answer 99.9% of the time is, I don't know, it's a turtle. <laughs> and and they are just all so, so different. And it really matters to know what, what, what species you're working with because some are in freshwater and some are in saltier water or brackish water and some do not live in water full time and some are in water half the year and not the other half and some are in water and are totally aquatic but you need to know what kind of aquatic and people people another thing i run into a lot of the time is people believing that you cannot help an injured turtle that's partly because they're not aware that there are people like turtle rehabbers available because there didn't used to be. It's a relatively new area for rehab for people to do reptiles and especially turtles. So people tend to, when they find an injured turtle, just leave it on the side of the road because they figure there's not, they have no other choice. They also project what they know about other animals like mammals onto turtles. And many times those beliefs are totally inapplicable. For instance, if you get a turtle that has a really bad looking shell fracture, they automatically assume that the turtle needs to be euthanized when at least half the time, if not most of the time, the turtle can usually survive those kinds of horrible looking fractures. It all depends on what kind of internal damage was done to the body and the organs inside that shell. But a shell fracture by itself doesn't necessarily mean anything about the prognosis for that turtle. They also believe that if the turtle has just a tiny little fracture, that it's fine and they should just let it go. And many times that little fracture belies a really massive injury internally that they can't see and they wouldn't know of, and the turtle really desperately needs help. And people have no idea, again, when they're taking in a turtle illegally or even from a pet store, they find a turtle out in the wild, for instance, and they say, wouldn't this be the cutest little pet for my kids? And they take home a baby hatchling snapping turtle, say, or painted turtle. And they have no idea that that turtle is going to live at least 40 years if it's well-treated and that it's a social animal and really should be with others. And so... One of the things that all of us as turtle rehabbers end up being stuck with that we didn't realize we were going to be battled with when we signed up to be rehabbers is we get previously captive turtles all the time because people abandon these pets right and left. And when you think about it, how many people ever believe they're going to be signing themselves up for a 40-year pet? You could move. You could... um 
move move to a place that doesn't allow pets. You get tired of changing the water. You don't have enough money to buy the size tank and filter and everything that you need as the turtle gets larger and larger and larger. You get bored with it because it's in an aquatic tank and it isn't some fuzzy thing that can come sit beside you on the couch. All kinds of reasons. They are the worst thing to have as a pet and should not be pets. And it is illegal to take them out of the wild, period. So other than a season on snapping turtles that we, that some states have, like ours. So basically, nobody really understands much of anything about turtles, and they're very, they, they suffer the consequences all the way around. Now, could you address a problem I deal with in the Lakes region of New Hampshire all the time? I get a call about a turtle, I show up at the location, and there's a man there who tells me he's a grandfather, his grandchildren are coming to stay on the lake for the week, and he has a snapping turtle that he's trapped, and he wants me to take it away and relocate it because he doesn't want his grandchildren being attacked. And I have to read him the riot act. I have to explain to him that a snapping turtle is not going to attack anyone. And also that that turtle belongs in that lake, and it is illegal to trap and remove turtles. That happens with so many other kinds of wildlife too, Catherine. Like I know a a friend that actually wanted people, wanted to find a place where she could get some black rat snakes to import to her farm to deal with the rodent population. And, you know, people have this idea that wildlife in general, not just turtles or reptiles, are pest pieces that they can just move wherever they want to. They're these commodities that we can use or, or move or discard or import to suit our human needs. And it's just horrible. Those animals live in that place. That is their home. We are imposing on them. But specific to that problem and that story that you just told is that snappers will not hurt people underwater. if, If there's something in the water with them, they are as Placid as babies, and they. I, my my mentor Kathy Michelle down in New York State actually made a video of herself walking around barefoot in a tub full of some of her snapping turtle patients, just to prove that they they were not provoked and that they would do nothing to her. And if anything, they're just gonna try to get away from you because they really just want to be left alone. Snappers are one of the the most misunderstood animals on the planet, I think. And uh, they they just have this horrible reputation as being these aggressive, vicious, dangerous monsters. And, you know, once you start working with all these different turtles, you realize that they are actually one of the biggest teddy bears of the whole turtle world. And they're just like old, calm dinosaurs that just want to be left alone. They are not out to hurt people, but they have very few natural defenses other than that snap. And like, unlike a lot of other turtles, they can't pull into their shell. So their only, their only self-defense is to look mean and scary when somebody's bothering them on land. And even if that's somebody that's trying to help them cross the road, they don't know somebody's trying to help them. And they, they just feel like they're, they're being attacked. And so they, they get a little snappy to try and scare somebody off, which is what every animal does. They just all do it in different ways. But in the water, snappers are the calmest things. They don't bother anything. In fact, at my mom's senior living facility, there there's a large lake full of giant snapping turtles, and they coexist with all the other turtles, and sometimes the painted turtles ride around on the snapping turtle backs. They come up to the gazebo. It's very cute. Unfortunately, up here, people play musical turtles, especially in the lakes region. 
We have lake associations that are proud to tell everyone they cleared every snapping turtle out of their lake so their children will be safe. The thing they don't realize is snapping turtles are the janitors of our lakes and wetlands. They eat all of the detritus at the bottom of the lake. If it weren't for snapping turtles, our lakes would not be as clear and as beautiful as they are. The water would be pretty murky and muddy. So lake associations are doing a lot of harm in the lakes region right now with these outdated and outmoded notions and beliefs about snapping turtles. Absolutely. Absolutely true. And Kathy, my mentor, always tells me that she is convinced that they also help purify the water just physiologically, not even by eating all the dead stuff, but they actually help keep the water cleaner because they are one animal that science is actually studying for its amazing, mysterious tolerance of pollutants and filth. And they they live in that and they actually can process like kind of water purification through their bodies. And the other thing is they're not like fast swimmers who go after and catch tons of fish and things. They just usually just kind of stay in one place and can reach out and get something that's floating by. But they're not... They don't go after things. They're just big, cumbersome beasts. You know? <laughs> the other problem I encounter is getting calls from people saying they had a family of ducks on their lake, that there were 10 ducklings, and one by one, the ducklings disappeared because of a snapping turtle. And I always have to explain, it is not a snapping turtle that's doing it. In the lakes region, we have pike. They're fish that can measure four to five feet in length. They come from underneath and they grab the ducklings. We also have weasels and martens and they can swim. But the snapping turtle is always the scapegoat. I have never, uh, so I get snapping turtles just every day all summer long. And they usually end up dropping big gobs of fecal matter in their tanks after I get them at some point. And it's usually pretty obvious what they were eating. And if they were eating things like birds, there would be lots of feathers and bones and things in their droppings. And it's almost always 90% plants and sometimes some fish scales and sometimes little pieces of plastic and, you know, weird things like that. But yeah, they're, they're definitely not big predatory carnivores by any means. They're, they really are just big, slow. We've been here 300 million years. We're going to wait for stuff to come to us, like you said, and they definitely are not going to go after kids in the water. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have had the experience of being out rock hopping in a lake or a stream, and they've said, you know, I looked behind me thinking I stepped on a rock, and it turned out it was a turtle. And the turtle never in any of those stories ever lifted a finger or raised an eyebrow or moved at all. They just want to be left. They're just, please leave me alone. A whole mythology has been built around the snapping turtle because people only see them when they're out of the water, crossing the road to lay their eggs. It's the one time that snappers feel vulnerable and threatened, and that's when they're out of the water. And let's face it, they are kind of ugly looking. So when they do snap, I think it scares people and it's turned into a macho thing where people are hurting snapping turtles because they're retaliating against this mythology. It's a mythology that's been built up over the years, like they are some kind of monsters from the Pleistocene era, and nothing could be further from the truth. I know, they're like dragons. I, I can't tell you how many also injured turtles I get during the summer when people actually saw someone go out of their way to hit one intentionally. 
a lot of times these are mama turtles just on their way to try and lay their eggs in the same place that they've been going to for year after year after year. And it takes most turtles like 10 years to become sexually viable where they can actually start reproducing. Now, can we talk about what's happening right now, which is female turtles crossing the roads to lay their eggs? What are some things people can do to help them? Sure. This is, this is another thing most people have no idea about is turtle nesting season. And that's when you and I get most of our patients for sure, because it's like a mass exodus. So female turtles of all species go out of their wetlands in the spring. And it starts in late, usually late May, although the past year or so it's been getting a little earlier and a little earlier, probably because of climate change. But they leave the wetland. They will travel enormous distances to go find a nice, dry, warm, sunny spot because they have to incubate their eggs in the, in the ground. And they, they, just like sea turtles, they find the perfect spot. They dig a hole with their hind legs, drop their eggs in it, cover it back up with their hind legs, and are gone before you even usually notice it. And you will never be able to tell that a turtle was even there usually when they leave that spot. They're unbelievably masterful at camouflaging where their nests are. But the thing is, they usually all go at exactly the same time within just like a week. So first, it's usually the snappers and the paintheads, and then the box turtles and the spotted turtles and the wood turtles. And then, you know, the, the diamondback terrapins are usually kind of on the later end of things if you live near the coast in brackish water. So snapping turtles will go up to a mile from the wetland where they live. And as you can imagine, that involves crossing tons of roads. So if during that period you are out driving and you, you have to keep your eyes open for turtles, first of all, because you can't really miss a large snapper, but boy, is it easy to miss a spotted turtle or a painted turtle. They just look like little hockey pucks in the road. And if it's on the side of the road and and you know, you're not really paying attention. It's so easy to miss them. And they're heading into the road and your car is going by and you're either going to hit it right in the head and give it massive head trauma, which I get all the time, or you're actually going to run right over that turtle. So if you if you see any turtle on the side of the road, if it's safe to do so, always stop your car, get out, check on the turtle. If the turtle is fine, the best thing you can do is help it get to the side of the road that it's headed towards, so the other side of the road. Because if you took it back to the side it came from, it's just going to turn around and go back into the street again. They know exactly which way they're going. They're heading to a very specific spot that they are instinctively drawn to year after year. They have unbelievable internal compasses. And the last thing you want to do is try to second-guess the turtle and, and um, put it back into harm's way. So always take it to the side it's headed towards. One other good thing you can do is post turtle crossing signs, which you can make with the old wire frames from political signs. You can do laminated things. You, you can, you know, staple gun something to a telephone pole, in which case it's really good to get DOT permission. But it's, it only needs to be up temporarily because nesting season really only lasts from late May to mid-July. Sometimes you'll get one or two turtles after that that are doing another clutch of eggs, which happens sometimes, but that's the exception, not the rule. 
the good thing about having signs up, if you know a place where turtles regularly get hit by cars, is that doing it for just a couple of months, people don't become numb to it. They actually notice it, and, and it reminds them to pay attention. And you can also do it in places where you don't know that it's a, a turtle crossing, per se, but it'll still you know, prompt people's attention so that while they're driving, they're paying a little bit more attention. If you see a turtle nesting, always leave it alone. In most states, I know it's illegal to uh, tangle with either a nesting turtle or the nest itself, and it's illegal to poach eggs just like it's illegal to poach animals. One of the calls I get all the time, Catherine, is people that have snapping turtles roaming around their yard, and they are freaked out that the turtle is in their yard, and they have dogs, and they have children. And I always tell them it's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's actually kind of good luck that you have this turtle in your yard because most people don't ever get to see one up close. And she's just looking for a place to lay her eggs. And sometimes it takes a couple of days. They do a little exploratory scratching in the soil over here, and then they move to another part of the yard and they scratch over there. And sometimes they leave without nesting, but usually they find the perfect spot. They lay their eggs and they're gone. And sometimes they have to stop it during that process. If it is taking a couple of days, they might need to rest for a while. It doesn't mean they're threatening anybody in your yard, and it doesn't think, mean they're going to stay there. It doesn't mean you should interfere in any way, shape, or form. Just enjoy watching the turtle because you've got a close-up view of, of one of nature's great seas, like having a sea turtle nest in your yard. And then just, just wait, and they'll, they'll go on their way as soon as they're done. They do not want to stay. They're just there to lay their eggs. Also, another thing to know is if you have topsoil or mulch piles in your yard, which a lot of us do in the spring, and and if you're anything like my family, we don't get around to using them until later in the summer, so they sit there for a long time, um, that turtles love to nest in those. So if it's possible to use it before nesting season, that's great. And if you find you can't use it in time, maybe cover it with a tarp or just leave it alone until the middle of July because chances are very good that if you have turtles nearby, they've nested in there. And if all else fails and you do start digging and you find that you uncover some eggs, don't just rebury it because now you've disturbed a perfectly engineered nest and chances are that you're not going to rebury the eggs correctly. Plus, turtle eggs are specifically oriented in a specific vertical upright position. And if you move them after, say, one to two days, you could kill the embryo inside because the embryo is actually attached to the top of that egg and jostling the egg can dislodge it and kill it. So the best thing to do is always call one of us if you find a disturbed nest and we can come and correctly extract the, the nest, incubate the eggs, and when we have hatchlings, we'll return them to you for release or, you know, wherever we think mom came from. And that's that's a simple thing that happens all the time. So don't fret, but don't take matters into your own hand either. Lastly, I would say lots of snappers weigh their, lay their eggs in really strange places where we think they're going to be in imminent danger that's sort of a topic of debate as to whether you should intervene and remove and incubate the eggs or leave them alone and let nature take its course. I kind of tend to err on the side of, well, we've altered their landscape so much that it's sort of on us that it is a bad place and a dangerous place and we deserve to give the eggs a chance. But legally, it's usually not possible to remove the eggs. 
unless they've already been disturbed. So that's that's most of what you can do to to prevent anything. But then if you find an injured turtle in the road, which I know you wanted to know about, <laughs> you should always, always, always take an injured turtle with you. No matter how small the injury or how serious the injury, even if the turtle looks dead, because A, like I said before, small injuries can be grave and major injuries can be minor and savable. But also turtles that seem dead often are not. And the turtle could be still full of eggs because they tend to seem, to me, they tend to get hit more on their way to their nest than on the way back from the nest. So she may still be full of eggs. And even if she is dead, the eggs are often still salvageable and can be incubated and hatched. And then we at least have a chance to return the next generation to replace mom back to her wetland which is a great thing about turtle rehab. That's one of the things that you can't do with any other animals. If you really want to be proactive, you could stock your car in, say, April with a nice large plastic bin that has a locking lid if you ever plan on picking up a snappy turtle. And you may not plan on it, but it does happen, and it's a really safe thing to do if you have a locking bin. You just don't want to have an unlocked one because they can climb out and start crawling around your car while you're driving. And then put in that bin a good heavy-duty set of gloves and maybe a beach towel because one of the things that people most struggle with, I find, is how to handle a snapping turtle if they come across one in the road and they have to help it. So you need to know about snappers that they have a neck like a turkey. If you've ever pulled out the turkey neck in your Thanksgiving turkey, you'll know that it's kind of horseshoe-shaped. And when snappers reach out with that really long neck, they can only go in certain directions. Side to side, they can they have very limited range of movement, and they really can't reach the middle of their shell. So that's how I always pick them up. I just pick them up right on the middle on each side between the front and back legs. And they cannot reach down at all. So if it's not too heavy a turtle for you, you can always just scoop it up like a platter with one hand underneath and the other hand on the back of the shell for balance and just scoot it forward like that. And it's facing away from you, of course. And the only thing that you don't want to do is have the head in a place where it could reach your face because the one direction that snappers can reach a long direction is up and back, like straight up and back over their shell. And that's because when you think about it, they spend all their time down in the bottom of a pond. And when, when they do have something floating by over them that they want to grab, they have to be able to go straight up to the surface of the water, grab the thing and pull it back down. And that's actually why they have that snapping reflex, too. It's really for eating, not so much for aggression or, or not, not aggression, but defense. So when you pick up a snapper, just make sure that you hold it down away from your face because they can reach up and back. But the thing that you really do have to be careful about is those really long claws because they have claws like grizzly bears. And that's why it's really great to have a heavy-duty pair of gloves in your car because as long as you can protect your hands and your wrists and you hold it down away from your face that turtle cannot hurt you the safe 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 way to do it so you're not afraid is to grab a mat from the inside your car 
kind of coax the turtle to crawl onto the mat and then drag the car mat across the road and then scooch the turtle off. Then there's no chance of anybody getting hurt in any way, shape, or form. There are so many websites and videos and recommendations saying pick the turtle up by what they call the wheel wells, those empty spaces of the shell right above the hind legs where you can get a good good grasp on it. But if you have a 40-pound snapper and you're not a large woman, it is almost impossible to pick something like that up from the back without really tipping it upwards, which is going to put the face of the snapper within range of your face. So I'm not a big advocate of that method. It's fine if it's a small enough turtle that you can lift it, but I lift them all day, every day. All my mentors lift them all day, every day for, you know, decades and decades, and nobody's ever had a problem lifting them in the middle as long as you watch out for the claws. So... And one should never drag a turtle backwards by the tail or pick up a turtle by the tail and leave it hanging. That's exactly right. That's a great point. Great, great point. That's the, that's their spine. I don't know how that... that uh, I know so many people who are big turtle advocates who still believe that that's the right thing to do because they were taught that as kids. But it's it's you can do massive damage to their spines doing that. So don't. <laughs> you can rupture their vertebrae, rendering them paralyzed. And then they have to be euthanized. Yes. Yeah, it's it's not helping. I mean, think about how heavy those animals are, and you're holding it by the tip of its spine. And the other thing you need to remember if you have an injured turtle, really important, don't give it any food or water. It doesn't need it. It shouldn't remain dry. But keep flies off of it. One of the, the most dreadful things we have to deal with as rehabbers is turtles full of maggots. And unlike other animals, there is no medication or treatment that we can give them that will go through their system and kill the maggots. We literally have to go in and pick them out one at a time by hand. And and a turtle's body is just a big open cavity full of organs. So once the flies get in there, it's almost impossible to get them out. And they can literally eat a turtle from the inside out. And we've had lots of turtles that should have been saved who didn't survive because they were left exposed a little too long. And the flies, the flies get into those wounds so fast, you can't believe it, especially on hot days. So always just put a pillowcase or a towel or even a damp, slightly damp paper towel over it, just anything to keep the flies from being able to access that turtle while you get it to help. And so always call a rehabber immediately. Don't ever try to treat a turtle yourself, and it's usually illegal to do that. You know, like don't go home and put bacitracin on that cracked shell. That's one of the worst things you could do, Uh, and we have to undo a lot of that. I've gotten turtles that people tried to gorilla glue those fractures together, and I had to undo all of that. And, And the thing is, by that point, it's too late for us to be able to close the shell up again. Because it would be like sealing a scab inside the body. You have to get shell fractures treated as quickly as possible because if they're not fresh and bloody, we literally cannot close the turtle back up. It may still heal, but it might take two years instead of five months. And it's really hard to do. Now, as we wrap up today, did you have anything else you wanted to say to people who want to help turtles? 
One really important thing, really important. Lots of people use social media. Lots of people love to post pictures of their the turtles they see out in the wild on social media. One of the most important things you can do right now to nip turtle trafficking in the bud, because it is an unbelievably huge problem, even in our little North American towns with our common species. But there are active poachers everywhere around us going into places like public lands and wiping out the few populations of our endangered turtles that we have left. And the way they find out where they are is by people like us posting a cool picture and saying, look at this cool turtle I found, and I found it here. And they list exactly where they found it. And and there are people trolling the Internet looking for that information, and, and they are very savvy about how to find the turtles once they know where they're located. So do not ever include location info. Either you have to wipe it off of your photo, which is really easy to figure out how to do. Just Google, how do I remove location info from my pictures when I post them? And don't say in your post where you found that turtle or saw that turtle. Just say, look at this beautiful turtle I found. And leave it completely anonymous as to geographic location. Super important. I'd like to thank Pam Meyer for joining us today. You can find out more about Pam and her work with turtles, and even make a donation if you like, by going to theturtlesback.org. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.